0: joining us now is first of all a voice that already is going to make me start to feel better and yes uh and that's maybe because he lives in tampa now it's fred manfra orioles hall of fame broadcaster how are you fred
1: Hey guys, how are you? And and don't get too complacent about temperatures down here because right now it's about 50 degrees wow. and all week long it's only supposed to be in the upper 60s, so I won't be able to gloat too much about what you guys are having up in Maryland.
2: No, but knowing Florida <laughs> residents like I do, having covered spring training down there, especially in central Florida, Fred, uh, up around Melbourne, I can tell you that that's, that's jacket weather, that's yeah. sweater weather.
1: Or coat weather yeah, or for coat some people. coat weather, yes,
2: yeah. Exactly. Hey, Fred, when,
0: when we got the news the other day that, Mike, I was out of town all week, so I apologize for calling as late in the week as I did. But one of the first people I thought of was you because you broadcast his games for so many years. Uh, what, what are your immediate uh, thoughts on Mike Messina getting into the Hall of Fame?
1: I, I'm very happy. I, I, I like Mike. Uh, I think that he was one of the best pitchers of his era. And I can describe him. Let's pick out, say, four words. Number one, intelligent. Number two, competitive. Uh, you can also talk about him being a great team player. Believe it or not, people may think that he was an individual, which he was, very individualistic. Mm-hmm. But he was also a great team member and consistent. Every time he went out to the mound, you figured that you were going to see one heck of a pitch ball game by Mike Messina.
0: You know, the the stat that blows me away when I started, because I, I'm a firm believer that Mike kind of got screwed by the, the Hall of Fame voters. I thought he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. And the, the number that really stood out for me, Fred, and this is about what you talk about with the consistency and the competitiveness, he pitched for 10 years with the Orioles. The composite winning percentage of those Oriole teams was 5'11" and his winning percentage was 645. I don't know that you're going to find somebody over a 10-year period who outdistanced his team's winning percentage by that much.
1: Well, that's that's right, Stan. Like I said, every time he took the mound – whether the Orioles were in a downturn during the course of a season, which all teams go through, you figured it was going to be Messina who was going to be the stopper. He was going to be the guy that went out there and shut out the other team for at least seven or eight innings, and you figured you had a chance to end a losing run. So, you know, that is what you look for in a pitcher. And that is what you don't find today in so many young pitchers and so many older pitchers where you can figure every game that guy is going to go out there and give you the greatest chance to win. One of the
2: great things about him, Fred, and you watched him obviously just like I did, but one of the great things about him and I think what made him so special was the fact that you brought up the word intelligent. And, you know, he would go out there some days without his best stuff he figured out a way, and I, we, we always used to tease him about, you know, making it up as you go, you know, and he, and he knew some days when he went out there, well, this isn't working and this isn't working, so I better try something else.
1: Well, that's correct, and that's what pitching is all about, because you talk to anybody, you talk to a Jim Palmer, you talk to a, a guy like a Burt Blyleven or a, a Jack Morris, and they all tell you, you know, there are certain days you go out on that mound. And you don't have your best pitch, so you better find out what you do have and how you can utilize that against the opposition. And Mike always seemed to find that way, whether it was a knuckle curveball, a breaking ball, a fastball. He always found the pitch that was the out pitch during that particular outing.
0: Yeah. You know you know, what's fascinating about him? I was a, a, a just-up-and-coming talk show guy on WFBR radio, and I got the drive-time position When we lost the Orioles' rights, I did a five to seven show, and I had Mike's dad. First of all, is Mike's dad still alive? He passed away. Uh, I had Mike's dad on when the Orioles drafted him in nineteen. Was it eighty seven or eighty eight? Yeah. And because the Orioles had drafted him very highly that year out of high school, and Edward Bennett Williams really wanted him. And he he promised Mr. Uh, Messina that he would pay, that the Orioles would pay his college tuition whenever he wanted to go to college. And I remember Mike's dad saying, well, I've done fairly well. I may not be Edward Bennett Williams, but I was a lawyer. I told <laughs> Mr. Williams, we can afford to pay for his college tuition. Right. And, uh, right. and they didn't come to an agreement then. It was very unusual to dip back in that same pool again, Fred, isn't it?
1: Well, yes it is, but then when you have a pitcher of the quality of Mike Messina, if you have a second go-around to get him, you're going to try to get him and hope that teams in front of you don't have that opportunity. You know the story about Eddie Farmer, who is now a a broadcaster for the White Sox and, of course, a one-time pitcher for the Orioles, one-time big league pitcher. He also worked as an Orioles, quote, scout at one point Mm -hmm. and scouted Mike Messina. He brags about that, and he tells the story that uh, his final scouting assignment, supposedly, to look at Mike Messina, Mike did not pitch well, but the Orioles encouraged him to go back and watch Messina pitch again. He kind of reluctantly did and then had his eyes opened once again to the effectiveness of a Mike Messina and what potential he displayed to be as a big leaguer, and that's why the Orioles, with his recommendation and uh, several other recommendations, obviously, drafted Mike Messina out of Stanford.
2: I remember, I remember, and, and Fred, you may remember this game, the inning in two-thirds when he got blasted and got knocked uh. out of the game. We're in the clubhouse afterwards, and everybody's waiting to talk to him. He slammed a – or he shut the door, the locker door, up above his uh, locker, and he turned, just turned around. Nobody asked a question. He just turned around. He looked at all of us and said – the worst athletic performance of my life at any level, high school, college, little league, anytime, worst. And then he walked off.
1: <laughs> well, that, that was Mike. He didn't make excuses. You, you never heard, even when he had that blister, you remember yeah. when they were people were telling him to put it in pickle, uh, pickle brine, brine and all right. kinds of things, he, he didn't make excuses. And then, uh, as Stan and I talked yesterday, we talked about two things. Number one, that uh, – fight that evolved against the Seattle Mariners. Bill Hasselman charged the mound. And then I think something that went on, it seemed like a half an hour that uh, conflagrations broke out all over the playing field. Norm Charlton one of the biggest precipitators of the fights and even Elrod Hendricks, Mr. Elrod, who is (laughs) the friend of everyone was involved in a situation with Norm Charlton. And then as Stan brought it up yesterday about that line drive off the eye uh, socket, yeah. Of Mike off you, the bat, of Sandy there, Alomar. Were you and there? Craig? Read, oh, absolutely. He, yeah, yeah. You know, he had just come back from missing two starts because of, I think, the blister or the the wart on his finger, and he came in, and everybody thought, "Oh my gosh." I hope Mike has not lost an eye. Obviously, right. he didn't, fortunately. He did break a bone underneath the eye. And then, what was it, two or three starts later, he was ready to go.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Fred, that
0: fight, uh, when, you, when you remember back to it, and you and I were talking about this, I, I remember that Chris Pozzio was the starting pitcher for the Mariners that day. And when you talk about throwing at hitters, usually you think of headhunting. I remember that particular game Basio threw at the ankles of about three or four Orioles, and it was always my opinion that Rick Sutcliffe said to Musina, it's time to pay them back. Mm-hmm.
1: And, well, and, it, yeah. if you review that in your mind or on uh, the, the Internet, you see Sut, he is right there in the middle of everything. right. right. And he was trying to, you know, after a while, I think maybe he said me, if, in fact, what you say happened, he's right. saying... Uh Uh-oh, what did I start here? Right, exactly. Because it was going all over the ballpark from the third base coach's box in front of the visitor's dugout over to the first base side, then out at second base. It was just amazing. It seemed it would calm down, and then all of a sudden it would blow up again. And it was one of the most bizarre days at Oriole Park at Camden Yards I ever witnessed. And
2: something that I don't think a lot of people know about, which I found out on the MLB channel this week, was that Harold Reynolds – was hit by Bazio in that game, and and here's Harold, who was uh, that's who was he threw at his ha- ankle. Ha- yeah. Harold mm-hmm. was Harold was a longtime Seattle Mariner before he got to Baltimore. Right,
1: right, right. And the, and the Mariners, uh, you know, again, I I think David Segui was there as well. Yeah. Who you know, you just had so many guys involved in little fights. It wasn't one of those typical baseball fights where you see two guys engage in a little bit of throwing and missing. But these guys were actually landing punches. You didn't have many guys bear hugging each other. They were actually going at it. That's how high the temper uh, on each in each dugout was.
0: And I remember that specifically because I was watching it from home. It was a Sunday afternoon game and I remember Mel Proctor who was doing the then I think it was Home Team Sports He's going, where are the – I mean, he must have said this ten times. Where are the police? My God, where are the police?
1: <laughs> well, that, that was the time when you only had to worry about streakers going on yeah, the field. Exactly. So you, exactly. you didn't have to worry about idiotic people who have been had, had too many beers at the ballpark running across the field or, or, or trying to shake hands with somebody. And so they didn't have that same police presence as they do now, and also the private security guard presence at the ballpark. By the
2: way, Fred, I'd like to apologize for that
1: day anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they say when they arrested you, Craig, it was for lack of evidence. Well,
0: they, oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, he got you. Good zinger.
2: Good zinger. I knew there was a reason I missed you. (laughs) Hey, there there were two other
0: things about that fight. I always blame Jeff Tackett for not being, he was the catcher that day. Well,
1: you know, yesterday after we talked about that, I went back and watched that. Right. And I watched Hasselman, who was not a very fast guy. He no. broke out of that third base side batter's yeah, he box did get down like Jesse right. Owens sprinting <laughs> to the mound. So I don't think Jeff had that an opportunity or realized yep. that that was about to happen. But, yeah, Hasselman had some of the greatest moves of any halfback or fullback yep. in football as he broke out of that box heading toward Moose.
0: And the other little side story of that, and, Craig, you remember this, is Cal Ripken... Got oh
1: yeah, got hurt. hurt he in he that was in that fight. the bottom of that mm-hmm. pile. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, you remember Richie Bansells and, and Richie and I are great friends. Richie said after that game, he was concerned that the streak was about to come to yep. an end. But miraculously, yep. the next game. Cow was in the lineup and ready to go.
2: Thank God for the off day
1: on Monday. <laughs> yes, correct.
0: Hey, Fred, before we let you go, and we really appreciate you giving us some time this morning, we're going to get another broadcaster, Susan Waldman, who got to watch Moose up in New York for the eight seasons. He I should there. give you
1: a different perspective well, of certainly.
0: Moose. Certainly. But I do want to ask you, what do you expect out of Moose um, in his speech? Well, I town. think
1: he's going to be gracious. Uh, remember when uh, Moose was inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame? Very gracious to Orioles, and and I, and I, I do. I, I heard you guys talking before we came on about. I, I, I never was one of those fans that begrudged Moose leaving Baltimore. He what made $10 dollars $10 more with the Yankee yep. contract. I would have loved to have seen him at Baltimore, but I always would talk to fans and say, "Look, if you were working for a company that." you liked working for and the fan, and you mm-hmm. enjoyed but if somebody came across the street and said i'm going to give you x amount of dollars more what would you do yep. and nine out of ten of those people said hey i would take the money and leave well i said unfortunately that's what happened in that situation the yankees wanted moose and he anchored their pitching yep. staff among other great pitchers that yep. they had at that time. Yep. And, look, he went to the postseason. Look what he did as a Yankee. So I'm happy for Mike Messina.
0: All right, Fred, we're going to leave it at that, and uh, maybe we'll touch base with you. Uh, will we see you down in Sarasota at all?
1: Oh, you got it. I'll be down there. I, I, I won't know many people uh, <laughs> in, in the clubhouse, but I'll be down there, and I'll be looking forward to seeing what the, the, the new Oriole pact will be this year. And, I, you know, we saw a ball club, and I live with a ball club here in Tampa Bay, that has done it many ways, like the Orioles will have to do it. And they'll have to do it from rebuilding farm system. We saw what Houston did. But the Tampa Bay Rays, for a team that is not a big market team yep. and doesn't have the money that maybe the Orioles might have through the network, they have been able to win some ball games, And let's see if the Orioles, with their new general manager and their new front office staff, will be able to start that type of a situation and create another Orioles great tradition.
0: Fred, I urge you to go on Amazon and buy a copy. You can probably get it for $10, $12 of a book called Astro Ball, written by Ben Reiter, R-E-I-T-E-R. It's sort of the money ball of the Astros. Okay. A fascinating read. I'm about a third of the way through it. It's really entertaining.
1: Now, before we leave, I have one question. What do you think of analytics?
0: I'm a, I'm an embracer of analytics. I think that they're vitally important, but I think you need the combination of the scouting and the analytics
2: together. And I am, I, a, I am a fan of analytics to a certain degree but I still think the eye test is what I trust the most, especially when it comes to scouts. And because of analytics, a lot of scouts, Fred, have lost
1: their jobs. Well, no that's qu- correct. And, and, you know, I feel that there has to be a combination because – a computer does not tell you what's inside of a guy's heart. Nope. Read, read this w- book.
0: I urge you to read okay. it. It's called Astro Ball. It's a New York Times bestseller by Ben Reiter.
1: All right? Oh, b- by the way, I had dinner with Sam Prolazo the other night, and Sam sends his regards to everybody back in Baltimore. That's
0: great. That's great. Stay well, Fred, and we'll talk to you in spring training.
1: Always a pleasure, guys. Look All forward right. to seeing you. All right.